Wednesday, which means it is time for Chip Chat. The two Sams are joined by Chip Gibbons, journalist, policy counsel at Defending Rights and Dissent. I'm a director now, Sam. Shit, you've been promoted, been haven't promoted you? Promoted in the world. Policy All director. Because of chip chat. Ever since I started doing Chip Chat, my career trajectory has gone upwards. Well, we're we're glad that we can give you a boost over here, Chip. Uh, <laughs> Chip is over at Defending Rights and Dissent. He is the policy director. Of course, the things he says on our show during Chip Chat are his views and his views alone. This is the segment where we explore civil liberties and government overreach and the sprawling U.S. empire and the growing surveillance state and security state at home. Chip, what are we talking about this week? Well, this week we're talking about the something that I have been telling both of you about for several years, and I kept saying was finally going to come out, and it has. Uh, over the weekend, I published an article with The Intercept about the FBI's numerous terrorism investigations into the International Solidarity Movement, which is a nonviolent group that works to support Palestinian rights. And... It's worth pointing out at the beginning because I still have all of these these trolls um, on the online being like, oh, actually, it's a well-established fact. The ISM are terrorists. They are terrorists. What I found through a FOIA request that took over five years and a lawsuit to finally get the results from was that the FBI opened multiple terrorist investigations into this group. They included at least a dozen field offices the national uh, headquarters, a very mysterious CIA cable I'll talk about more later, uh, confidential informants, physical surveillance, the JTTF, the California Highway Patrol was briefed on the matter. They threw everything they have at it. And they never came up with anything. And, you know, there's all these people like, oh, this is a silly article. Everyone knows, you know, or two, two, two trolls, you know, oh, this is a silly article. Everyone knows that they're terrorists. And it's like, this is a massive and sprawling series of investigations. I really want to emphasize plural investigations and, and nothing came of them. And in the one investigation, they actually end by concluding that the two people they're investigating were, this is an investigation out of St. Louis. I'll, I'll get into details more in a minute were, you know, activists, not not criminals, not terrorists. And so I filed this FOIA request about five years ago. The FBI came back. They had over a thousand pages of documents, like 1,300 pages of documents. And then they never assigned anyone to process them. And this went on for years and years and years that they just never assigned a person to process them. So finally, I got an attorney and I sued the FBI and then they, they gave them to me. And most of them are very redacted, but what we can draw from them is that there were at least two major investigations into the ISM. And I want to be clear, like, there's very likely and very clearly more than just two investigations into the ISM. But with the redactions, these are the two we can figure out, and these are the two most major, one of which was in St. Louis, run out of the St. Louis uh, field office. And it was into two activists who had gone on an ISM delegation to the occupied Palestinian territories. Uh, during that delegation, they were people were at a uh, 
Palestinian protest at the apartheid wall, which is the illegal barrier condemned by the International Court of Justice that Israel has built largely in Palestinian land in order to annex Palestinian land. Israel will say it's a security barrier. It's designed to keep terrorists from entering Israel. But significant parts of the apartheid wall are in the occupied West Bank and are clearly part of a process of colonizing and annexing Palestinian land in the West Bank. During a Palestinian protest against this, uh, IDF soldiers opened fire and one an, active, an American activist was injured. Uh, an elderly Holocaust survivor was on this, this trip and she was subjected to a humiliating strip and invasive strip search, leaving Israel, not, not coming and leaving. So really there's no point to that other than to like, you know, oppress and subject someone to humiliation. And the FBI's response is to open up an investigation into two of the delegation members. This investigation starts after they met with a source of unknown reliability who told them about the ISM. They look up the ISM in the FBI's automated case system, and they get all this creepy information about the ISM some ISM members are known to associate with some people who sympathize with extremists, like really vague stuff like that. And they decide to open an investigation into these two people to determine whether or not they're terrorists. They do this for two years. In the case of at least one of the two individuals, they have the communication analysis unit, which is this very scandal-prone unit formed after 9-11 within the FBI that was created to analyze call records. During this time period, they, they repeatedly got in trouble with the inspector general's office because they were pulling call records without getting grand jury subpoenas or national security letters first. And one of the things the OIG criticized them for, the FBI had a contract with three telecom companies and the telecoms companies stationed their employees in the FBI office and they had two they had two computers one was an FBI computer and one was the telecoms um computer with all of the call records on it and the argument for this was that you know the amount of time it took to serve a subpoena was too long so they need to like walk over or across their desk and, and then just give them this subpoena and then get the information quickly but what was happening was that the telecoms people were letting the FBI agents take sneak peeks at people's phone records. So this is one of the scandals this unit was involved in. But this unit was able to pull one of the activist phone records. They analyzed it. One of the, the numbers in it, it's not clear if it's someone he called or someone he called called or someone he called 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 this person. That number was linked to a highly classified CAA cable. Uh, it turns out the FBI was never supposed to see this cable. The uh, CIA refuses to give it to them, and then they delay closing the case for all, but then they eventually do so anyways, which raises some really disturbing questions like, what is what is going on here where FBI agents um, uh, spy on U.S. persons are able to access a CIA cable, which is a foreign intelligence agency, which does not have a charter 
to operate in this country if the FBI was, in their own words, not an intended recipient of the cable and the CIA would not let them view it? How are they in some kind of database where they could even run a phone number against it? Like, these are some big picture questions about post 11 surveillance. Uh, but like I said, these two activists at the end, after all of this, they decide that they are just activists. And in the other case, about a month after this starts in St. Louis, the Los Angeles uh, FBI field office opens a terrorist inter enterprise investigation into the ISM as an organization. And what a terrorist enterprise investigation is, is that instead of investigating an individual, you investigate a group of individuals who are, you know, using, who are engaged in terrorism, basically. Uh, and, and this investigation had the approval of the National FBI headquarters. They have a coordinating meeting at the headquarters. Throughout the investigation, um, field offices around the country it, carry out physical surveillance and informants and are sending information back to Los Angeles. And, and some of the documents they have are just mind-boggling. One of them mentions that because the ISM members have a uh, anti-capitalist and anti-globe philosophy, I believe they meant like opposition to the World Bank, not Flat Earth Society, but, but who knows with the FBI. Uh, because of their strong anti-globe views and their sympathy for the Palestinian cause, it made them likely to be coerced into carrying out terror acts. And that's like, that's someone's First Amendment protected belief, right? You're allowed to be an anti-capitalist. You are allowed to sympathize with the Palestinian cause. You're allowed to be a flat earther. You're allowed to be a flat earther, too. Yes, I would recommend against it. But uh, you're allowed to be in the anti-globalization movement as well. And that's just treated as like evidence of terrorism. And the other thing they keep doing is they keep citing to these front page magazine articles that are just like biased doesn't even begin to cover it. It's like basically false. One of them talks about Tom Herndale, who was a British uh, ISM volunteer murdered by the IDF. The IDF sniper who shot him was actually court-martialed for doing so, which is very rare. So that's how you know it was bad. And and the 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 front page magazine article just hypothesizes that the Guardian, the BBC, Reuters, and AP are all engaged in some sort of conspiracy to lie to us. And actually, this person was wearing fatigues and shooting at the IDF at the time, right? Like the article starts with at Tom Herndale was shot by the FBI while wearing fatigues and shooting at the IDF, and then it goes on to say, oh, but BBC doesn't say this. So who knows what is true? It's like, what? You just started with this assertion. And like I said, the sniper is later court-martialed. The State Department used to have pretty good human rights reports year by year on the occupied Palestinian territories. Uh, the, the human rights report for that year from the State Department completely contradicts what's in the front page article. And yet here the FBI is relying on this in order to predicate a terrorist enterprise investigation. The other really baffling and fantastic thing here is that the the opening communication in this doesn't mention any any laws that are being broken, but about six months into the investigation, 
they start talking about the Neutrality Act of 1794, the ISM could be conspiring to violate the Neutrality Act of 1794, uh, which is sort of ridiculous because the U.S. is not neutral in the Middle East at all. But, I mean, this is a law that after the Bay of Pigs invasion, Robert F. Kennedy has to give a public statement to the media about why it doesn't apply to literally an invading army that left the U.S. to to attack Cuba. Um, and let me try to find the, the language of the neutral. Like, it's a very oldly written law. Like, it literally mentions, like, raising a ship on U.S. soil against a prince the U.S. is not at war, you at war with. Like a so if I, can, if I can sum up briefly some of the stuff you've said thus far, you noted how uh, trolls online had said that everyone knows the ISM were terrorists, and it sounds like the FBI put a great deal of time, money, resources, and legal theories into try to proving that, and they uh, absolutely could not do it. Yeah, yes. The one investigation just sort of petered away. The other investigation ended with a conclusion. And these are just the two that we can piece together from the redactions. The other one ended with a closing communication saying, you know, they weren't terrorists or just activists. And there's actually handwritten notes in, in the case file I got that says, no evidence, no leads. And if I could just add in also in response to what these trolls said, Chip engaged in a five year long saga to obtain these documents to prove them wrong, but they well, still the aren't satisfied. In response to the article, I did not. I did not. The trolls have just been the last 14 hours. Okay. Uh, I did not. No, I am not that. I did argue with trolls online. Sam joined me in this noble task. Um, I, 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 I held out for 24 hours. I kept looking at their comments, and I'm like, I'm not going to respond. I'm not going to respond. And then it was just like, nope. I'm Fuck it. Deep. Sometimes you just got to respond. Uh, I don't want to get too... The Neutrality Act of 1794, I have the language in front of me, ah, actually good. references raising a military expedition or enterprise against the territory or dominion of any foreign prince or state of whom the United States is at peace with. Like, it's very old law. And, like, we wouldn't apply to the Bay of Pigs investigation or Bay of Pigs invasion. Robert F. Kennedy, who's then Attorney General, comes out and says, oh, it's an old law and it doesn't apply to people who leave the U.S. to fight for a cause in which they believe, which, I mean, ISM is not violent, but they're certainly engaged in a cause for which they believe it was also hugely controversial in the 80s with the contras and you know the contras were trying to overthrow this Sandinista government and they literally engaged in deliberate targeting of civilian infrastructure like literacy centers like health clinics in order to sort of undermine these social programs of the Sandinista government because they felt like that's where their legitimacy came from and I think we can debate whether or not the word terrorism has any meaning whatsoever and is ever a useful term. But if there ever was a group of people to whom the word terrorist applied, it is the Contras who are trying to overthrow the government of Nicaragua by attacking adult literacy centers. And the U.S. was totally fine with that. But you, American citizens 
nonviolently opposing the policies of an apartheid regime, they get investigated under it. And I think that says something. I don't want to get too sidetracked, but there was an interesting uh, thread that came out of the LA investigation, uh, which was ISM's alleged links to domestic groups. And there was one here that I'd never heard of before, uh, but to be, I don't want to editorialize too much, but they kind of sound badass. Uh, can you explain the Ruckus Society? Yeah, the Ruckus Society is a fairly well-known group. They train activists in uh, direct action techniques. The FBI is very concerned that the claims the ISM is um, associating with domestic terrorists. Uh, they use the phrase anarchist groups and domestic terrorists sort of interchangeably. So they claim the ISM is associated with anarchists, whatever that means. Anarchists are domestic terrorists, therefore they're associating with domestic terrorists. Uh, the documents also say the Ruckus Society is itself the subject of a terrorist enterprise investigation, which is something I did not know prior, and I, I don't know if that was in the public domain or not. I do know there was an OIG report that looked at the FBI's monitoring of civil society groups like Greenpeace, PETA, during the Bush years. And in the Greenpeace investigation, the Greenpeace terrorism investigation, per the OIG, one of the Greenpeace's um, activist association with the Ruckus Society is what triggered that. So there seems like there's a, a whole bunch of stuff with the Ruckus Society and the FBI that could be explored. Interesting. I uh, I had never heard of them before. I did not mean to show my ass there, but show it I did. But yeah, so um, that's where we're at. But like, and, and also the language here is so ridiculous. Like, like they, they talk not just about associating with anarchists, but one of the documents claim that ISM members have shown a loose association with foreign terrorist organizations such as Hamas, the PFLP, Islamic Jihad. What does loose association mean, right? Like, that's that's a term that has almost no no meaning. And like I said, in in the St. Louis investigation, you know, the language was something else that was like vague, like that, something like. Um, but it was, oh, some persons who claim affiliation with the ISM are suspected of having loyalties or sympathizing with Hamas or other more radical Palestinian groups. ISM claims to be a peaceful movement that uses nonviolent direct action. Like some persons affiliated with loose associations, these are very vague. Um, Tenuous connections. Yeah. And, and then, you know, not only do they go with these sorts of weird, like, oh, the ISM has loose associations with anarchists, the ISM has loose associations with, um, and there's an entire document that, that's, it's not one of the ones embedded on the Intercept website, but it's in the Google Drive, which I've made publish, that's just titled, like, Domestic Intelligence, Anarchist, Domestic Intelligence, Intelligence, Domestic Terrorism, Anarchist Groups in the ISM. And, and But in addition to that, they also start tracking, like, other groups the ISM is, is working with. They note that they have a strong association with the Quakers. Oh, no. 
They note that one of the ISM co-founders is on the board of directors of what was then the U.S. campaign to end Israeli occupation, what is now the um, U.S. campaign for Palestinian rights. And as a result, they go on their website and literally just go on the website and they write down all of the board members and then just like type up the website and then include with this typed up uh, FBI document of the text of the website, like a printout of the website. I don't know why they didn't say see printout as opposed <laughs> to type it up and then print it out. But um, well, it seems I, like the it seems like they got a lot of fruitful information, regardless if they weren't able to. Uh, find anybody involved in any crimes. They have a lot of info that they could use for non-law enforcement purposes down the road. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think, I think, yeah, I think so, some people could say, oh, this is harmless. They didn't end up finding any crimes. But this type of surveillance is always pernicious, especially when you're being spied on for engaging in political activity. We know that like most normal, most people don't probably want to be spied on by the nation's premier law enforcement and domestic intelligence agency. And if they think even their actions are totally lawful, they're going to have the FBI going through their phone records or monitoring them, they might think twice about participating in, in free speech activities. Like, like it's very dangerous. Say, I was going to say, say, for example, you wanted to uh, get a job that required, a, I don't know, an FBI background check but you, you know, at an agency like the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, and in your background check, it comes up that you worked with the ISM or whatever, that might weigh on your chances of getting the job. Just yeah, as an example I, it, of how this sort it, of thing, it, like it's, it's a very, uh, it's a very careerist sort of example. Uh, but yeah, it, I, mean, I mean, I mean, that's a real concern. It, it shouldn't in that case. Like, it's it's not against the law to be in the ISM, and that's not something they should take into account. And I don't know if the Consumer Protection Agency would would care or not. But I mean, yeah, I mean, having information, having the FBI compile a dossier on your political activities is deeply concerning. Yeah, maybe I'm just like uh, in the old days. Old days, there used to be groups that, if you were a member of, like the Socialist Workers Party, you were prohibited from working in the federal government. But I believe all of that has all of that has been overturned. What What was the reaction of the uh, activists who, when they learned of this surveillance? Because you you note that uh, they didn't have any. Uh, knowledge that they were under investigation for all this time um, until these documents were released via FOIA from the uh, FBI. Um, I know that one of the activists uh, didn't want to to uh, be identified in the report. Uh, the other activist, Mark Chamil, uh, what was his reaction to all this? He wasn't surprised. I mean, he had gotten a phone call from the FBI that was clearly part of the investigation. He got an attorney. The attorney called the FBI back, and the FBI didn't return the attorney's calls. Um, most of the ISM activists I talked to were not surprised. Unfortunately, I think most people who engage in this type of activism just sort of assume they're being watched by the FBI, right? It'd be like if I found out like the FBI was, you know, upset about my articles and like following me like I, it would be news to me 
but it wouldn't necessarily surprise me based on what we know about how the FBI operates. Unfortunately, I think we're most all cynical now. Involved, yeah, and I think most people who are involved with any kind of left-wing political activism in the U.S., especially around Palestine, it's just they're just they're just not at all surprised, which makes sense. But I mean, it shouldn't be that way. Is there any indication as to like, is there a precipitating event that sparked these investigations? So the Los Angeles one, that's extremely confusing where that came from. A later document mentions an earlier Los Angeles Neutrality Act investigation that we have just no documents from, not into the ISM, but into four individuals. In the case of the two St. Louis activists, as far as I can tell, the first time the FBI in St. Louis ever thinks about the ISM is when they meet with a source of unknown reliability, who that source is, what they're telling them. I don't know. It's worth pointing out that there was a huge campaign of demonization against the ISM around this time to say, oh, the ISM are terrorists, the ISM are doing all these things that are clearly not true. And the fact that some of those types of articles made their way into the FBI investigation, I suspect that played a huge role in in opening them. And with the famous cops investigation for the, the 80s websites in the world, what's that? I said cops just love the dumbest fucking websites in the world, the most reactionary <laughs> shithead websites. It's what so, they read, yeah. One of the most infamous FBI investigations, the one into the committee in Solidarity, the people of El Salvador, that was like. People were so shocked by in the 80s, the Senate had to do an investigation, not like a hearing, but like a full on investigation with both closed doors and open hearings. And and one of the things that precipitated that was an article in the John Birch Society's magazine. <laughs> and in that case, the FBI drew up a list of groups that supported CISPIS ideology, and they included not just like DSA or the Socialist Workers Party, but like the Mary Knoll Sisters, National Teachers Union, Oxfam, like a literal, just a list of organizations who in the FBI's mind supported the ideology of, of CISPIS, which is, I don't even, similar to what's going on here, but like, what do you do with that? I mean, it, it, and it's also really alarming because like, you know, a U.S. citizen who was an ISM activist, Rachel Corey, was killed by the IDF. She was crushed to death with a bulldozer while she was trying to stop an illegal home demolition. Uh, another U.S. citizen, Furkan Dohan, was shot four times in the head, including in the back of the head, by IDF soldiers at very close range and murdered. In that case, it was this sort of notorious an infamous and villainous act of piracy where the ISM raided a ship in international water, not ISM, IDF raided a ship in international waters with commandos that was trying to deliver humanitarian aid to the Gaza Strip, which Israel has in violation of international law blockaded the Gaza Strip since 2007. The health system is collapsing. 
It's the most densely populated region, one of the most densely populated regions in the world. Of the 1.9 million people who live there, 1.4 million are refugees. And it's the impact, the potential impact of the coronavirus there with the blockade is extraordinarily disturbing. And, and here was this ship trying to bring them aid. And the IDF illegally in international waters in this act of piracy raided the ship and they killed a U.S. citizen by shooting him five times, four times in the head, one time in the back of the head, all at close range. And, you know, I I believe one of the soldiers who carried out the that raid came to the U.S. to speak about, you know, his firsthand experiences. And I don't, I don't think the FBI ever investigated him. And yet here they are investigating people who are protesting in apartheid state, right? It's the same thing we see with the Neutrality Act, right? Like support for actual terrorists like the Contras who are out there attacking, you know, health clinics, literacy centers, an invading army like in the Bay of Pigs. Oh, no, it doesn't apply to people who fight for what they believe in. And then, you know, peaceful activists opposed to apartheid supporting the basic human rights of the Palestinians. Oh, my, they must be they must be terrorists. Let's get, you know, 12 different field offices and the California Highway Patrol and local police all around the country to to investigate this and pull up some sort of mysterious CIA cable. The takeaway once again from Chip Chad, the FBI itself is the criminal organization. Chip Gibbons, policy director at Defending Rights and Dissent, journalist, the integral part of chip chat every wednesday here on district sentinel radio you can follow chip on twitter at chip gibbons 89 oh that was a question i'm sorry no we never we never are able to execute this chip gibbons tag well because you never assume that i'm going to get it right and you just jump in right as i'm saying it every time i thought that quiz like what is your twitter handle i start like panicking like i don't know do i what what is my twitter handle Chip, be, uh, be safe out there, please. I will. I you're, will. you're irreplaceable. We'd have to change the name of the segment. <laughs> I hope the uh, person you replace with me also has a CH name. Otherwise, the alliteration might not work. You're going to have to find a chat or chat chat. Chad chat. Chad chat. Yeah, be careful. We might replace you with a chat. <laughs> that right. is uh, troubling. All right. Have a good day.